Fan Drive Time. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and we are live on Sportsnet 360. The uh, Toronto Blue Jays doing all hockey fans a big favor yesterday um, by going down early to the Houston Astros, making sure that was not a game. Although this is a team that's come back from a six-run deficit before. I mean, this is an offense that you can't... And there was a bases-loaded situation for Matt Chapman that you thought, man, that would have been... A uh, really interesting ball game at that point if he did, again, what he did in that big comeback on Sunday against the Angels and hit a grand slam. He didn't because he can't be expected to hit a home run every at-bat, just almost every at-bat. Yeah, he <laughs> should. Like, Barry Bonds did it for years. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Judge did it last year. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the Kevin Gossman, man, if there's anybody that's allowed uh, to throw up a dud... Uh, in a start this season, it is Kevin Gossman. He's not immune to that. But now the, the Blue Jays have really a number of, of not just poor starts, but like horrific starts. Um, what what you, I know you have the number. Is the starter ERA north of six now no, or is it just below? It's 594, <laughs> uh, third highest ex, average exit velocity from the starters. Also, uh, as far as games in which the starter has give, given up uh, more than six earned runs in a start, the Blue Jays... Now, second alone with five such games, the Oakland A's are the only team with more. They have eight. Are the, do you have their stats? Because they were kicking into the starters ERA over nine last yeah. time I checked. I don't. I, it would take me a second. But yeah, yeah, you can imagine. Let's just say it's nine because it's, it's probably close to nine. It's not very good. I'm, I'm excited. And also, like, they're allowing one run for every fan at their games. Yeah. Like, I think they did, like, 4,700 attendance yesterday or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And possums, too. Yeah. Yeah. Pa- possums well, hanging that's out. That's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. 939 starters ERA for, for Oakland. Okay. The Gosman-specific thing, though. Let me throw a stat at you, and you tell me if this is as simple as it needs to be for Kevin Gosman's struggle yesterday. And we know the Astros, as hitters and as a pitching staff, have a history of, like, over, over, overdoing it on one trend they find. Like we we went through the Bo Bichette stuff with Joe Siddle yesterday where when Bo was not hitting fastballs well, the Astros were like, okay, we're mm-hmm. not just going to throw him more fastballs. We're going to throw him only fastballs until he <laughs> proves that he can't do it. So over Kevin Gosman's first four starts this season, 22.5% of the swings that he generated were on pitches out of the zone low. Only 6.8% yesterday basically the Astros did not swing Mm -hmm. if the ball was low now I know he's mixed his fastball location more this year he mixes in the slider but to me it really really seemed like the Astros were if it's low if it starts low let it go there you go (laughs) I know it's an oversimplification no but they like what the twins did in that start last season percent of their swings were on stuff low out of the zone Yeah, so Kevin Gossman is great, and he throws one of the most effective pitches in all of baseball, that split finger. If you get into two strikes, you have no... no you're you're dead. Yeah, they, did, they didn't swing at zero of them. <laughs> he got five strikeouts, though. Right. And there were some people pontificating, at least on Twitter, I saw that, hey, this is uh, oh, a home game for the old Houston Astros, and they seem to have a pretty good handle on what's coming in that first inning. Yes, they're cheating to know that <laughs> fastball up, splitter low is a Kevin Gossman well, special. Okay, so no, Kevin Gossman is great. And again, like, there's no concern about Kevin Gossman in the long term, obviously. And you know what? He bounced back from there. To, to, to get him into the fifth inning was pretty impressive. I thought this was going to be a, a, a game where you really had to, um, you know, use a bunch of relievers and, and maybe the off day Thursday would have helped you a little bit to, to get through that or maybe you would have your, your first call up from, from Buffalo. Anyways, he, he, he gave him a little bit of, of length after that horrible, horrible first inning. 
Here's the thing, though. He essentially throws two pitches, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the second one, the splitter, is one of the most effective in all of baseball. But if you're guessing... Like, coming into yesterday was a top three pitch in all of baseball by results yeah. so far this season. But if you're guessing, it's just, like, mathematically easier to guess with Kevin Gossman. And honestly, it might give you the best shot to just say, I'm just selling out for this one location or this one pitch. Again, there was a start in Minnesota where everybody had their, their tinfoil hats on about the t- uh, pitch Siddle tipping. Told, Siddle told us yesterday that Gosman still believes that yeah. there was some element of tipping there. And I'd be curious to hear. I, I know they're on the road, so maybe we won't get a, a full you know, Gosman sit down for a little bit still, but curious to hear if Gosman thinks there was something there and that's what allowed him to clean it up after the first inning. You know, you get back, you watch on the tablet, you see something. I think it's probably more he started varying his fastball locations a little bit more and the Astros with a seven-run lead maybe got Well, and John Schneider said specifically, hey, we figured out exactly what they were doing, the game plan, and we stopped doing that. Yeah, and look, (laughs) Gosman has been this pitcher for, this is the third season where he's been this version of him. It's not like new or it's not something that like the analytics dweebs just figured out that Kevin Gosman throws his splitter low and his fastball high a lot. Yeah. Um, He has a 310 ERA over 68 starts the last two plus years. It's not like even if you're guessing you're going to be yesterday level of effective against him. Like, like this is going to be fine way more often than it's not. I actually think this is why we've heard Kevin Gosman talk this year about changing the like varying the location of his fastball a little bit more and we've actually heard him and I know there's some concern that his velocity's been down this year to start he has talked about varying his velocities as well mm-hmm. I don't know how to what degree that has the same impact as changing where you're throwing them maybe it's aimed at a little bit more deception I think I need to see a like there's just not a lot of sample of guys being like, I have a really good fastball. Let me throw a worse one just to mix guys up. Um, but I do wonder if Gosman is aware of that. And that's why we're seeing him change up his fastball a little bit here and there. Well, and he also talked about not being able to throw the splitter, like, cause he has the devastating one that he throws with two, two strikes, but he can throw one for a strike. And that there were a couple, he intended to be strikes early on in that, in that outing that weren't uh, out of the bottom of the zone again. And the, the Astros were just spitting on those pitches that were low in the zone. Also, this caught my eye, his post-game comments. um, And coming off our conversation with Joe Siddle yesterday and my theory that the pitch clock is maybe impacting Alec Manoa's start to this season because a guy, Alec Manoa, who does not throw 99, relies heavily on getting soft contact by reading bats and, and really the mental aspect of pitching is huge to his success. As it is with Kevin Gossman, he said, quote, you don't have the time to gather your thoughts. One thing I didn't necessarily take advantage of is the amount of picks that we get. You can pick to a base to just give yourself another 30 seconds. Those are little things that you can do as a pitcher. I was more focused on making pitches and didn't really think about that. But obviously, looking back, I wish I had slowed it down a little more. So that, I mean, that would feed into exactly my narrative, Blake. Again, you wonder if maybe this is something that Alec Manoa can talk to Kevin Gossman about because both guys, I mean, less so Gossman because he is such a strikeout artist, but that you can tell whether a team is eliminating the bottom half of the zone. Maybe if you just, you know, get more than 15 seconds or 20 seconds to think about it, that'll be interesting to monitor going forward. It will be. And and I, I'm having trouble right now with anything 
pitch clock related because like we saw Corbin Burns yesterday do the absolute coolest thing you can do with the new pitch clock. Uh, for anyone who didn't see it, he had the bases or uh, full count with two out. So yeah. he knew the runner would be going. He mm-hmm. ran the pitch clock down to one and then turned around and picked the guy off knowing he'd be, he'd be moving. It was great stuff. Um, the Jays have not experimented with uh, a lot of that stuff yet. The Jays are in a weird spot where like Alec Manoa has one pitch timer violation and like, that's it. Yeah. Like they, they just, they almost look well, Chris up. Bassett has had the one to start the game, right? But his was, uh, that was ruled a, a balk or it was a, it was a pitch calm like thing. Yeah. It wasn't, it technically didn't qualify as a pitch timer violation. Okay. I don't know where they draw those designations, but like MLB has the leaderboards up and okay. it, it's not classified as one. Anyway, it's, it's weirdly felt like on strictly on those outcomes the jays haven't been that affected by it because they don't have violations but they also seem like a team that maybe has been more affected by it than most because gosman and manoa have both or gosman spoke to that manoa is someone we believe is affected by that and then chris bassett we know in his first start and throughout spring that was one of the biggest adjustments he was making was well i normally call my own game and there's a lot of back and forth with the catcher um i i think we're still in the process of figuring out exactly the impact that the pitch timer has beyond, yeah, we're getting fewer three hour games and three hour plus games. Like I think the, and I, I think it's probably something that's going to ebb and flow because as pitchers like Corbin Burns figure things out or Chris Bassett learns how to use the, the tempo of things advantageously, as he's talked about, um, there'll be counter moves as well. So I think we're still learning a lot about that. I think right now withholding some judgment on, you know, Manoa's cold start or Gosman's struggles in this with a, just like a little asterisk of we're still trying to see, I, I think is entirely fair. Um, here's where I'm, I'm not done learning, but like, I think I have uh, enough of a handle on that. I can make an assessment. N- not that the blue Jays are going to have a bad starting rotation, but I would say that the offense, I'd be shocked if the offense isn't elite elite, right? Even with, and we can talk about the bottom of the order, maybe not producing to the level at which it did a season ago, but I don't, I don't think, you know, Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen are com- going to combine for a 500 OPS. The bullpen, I mean, they have one of the best closers in baseball, just, just factually. And we can talk about Zach Pop as well in a little bit because he looks like that's, that's I would found money. I love to talk about we, Zach Pop. We will. The bullpen looks fine, right? And that, that's always an area that you can improve at the deadline anyways. I would say that if, you, you're, if you're projecting ahead to like an area that could cost this team, like the, the area of most concern it has to be the starting rotation. I don't know you, how you can have a, another takeaway. Yeah, and look, maybe it looks better a couple weeks from now because Manoa's figured it out and, and Bassett is who, like Bassett's been more like we've seen in the last couple starts than in the first start. But yeah, I, I think if you look ahead to a playoff series, you know, you have a lot of guys that you'd maybe be cool with going once through the order. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Not great. Also, it's a weird thing where like, these struggles of the starting rotation are so heavily siloed in the first inning. Yeah. I, and I don't know what to make of that. Like, is this, there's like, has Pete Walker just become unbelievably bad at his job and the Jays can't game plan anything are, are, are actually all the pitchers bad and the catchers are just so unbelievable that they're able to make adjustments. Like, why is this happening in the first inning over and over again is a really, well, pa- they're, they're not going to have an ERA. Uh, they're not going to have a staff ERA of six. I get that. Like, not, it's gonna, but it's, like, it's going to be better. These guys had ERAs of like in the, the mid to high fives last yeah. year. It's not, it's not going to be six, but it's probably not going to be sub four. Okay, and if those two guys that you're referencing and Jose Barrios and Yusei Kikuchi have similar-ish seasons, and I'm bullish, especially mm-hmm. on Kikuchi's start to this season, I mean, 
that, that that's we still think that Kevin Gossman's going to have an elite level season. Yeah, Chris Bassett's going to be, be a Cy Young candidate. Chris Bassett will be Chris Bassett. I, I think what we're heading for, though, and maybe what you're you're getting to with this without saying it is. If you're heading into a playoff series, how many of these guys are you comfortable with being the guy, right? And, well, and going into the season, it was you had two two guys that you felt real good at the top of your rotation. Yeah. Who was going to do better than two of the, the, the top pitchers in the American League a season ago yeah. and, and Alec Manoa and Kevin Gossman? Now, I think given the investment that you have in these guys and given the track record of some of them, the, the rotation will be fine-ish and I still think come deadline time we're going to be talking more about adding to the bullpen which again has been good so far and has been asked to do a lot and Zach Pop looks awesome and Nate Pearson's been blowing everyone away at AAA like he hasn't allowed a, a piece of hard contact yet yeah. at AAA um, it's just nothing but weak grounders infield flies and strikeouts um, but this is still a bullpen that, yeah, top 10 in bullpen ERA so far and like kind of low, low, low in terms of missing bats, mm-hmm. which is something you're always going to want to improve on. Also, the real answer is like when you're talking about cost at the deadline, shoring up the bullpen and just hoping your starters can give you yeah. five innings, like five and dive and then get to a deeper bullpen. Like this front office has shown a preference for that other uh, the Barrios deal stands out but that Barrios deal they did not have five guys they were already paying good money to or no nope. Manoa is it four you're paying good money to plus Manoa yep um and Zach Pop is now like like I said found money pitching like one of the best uh relievers in all of baseball this is a guy that's always thrown hard but um lived with ground balls right like he was throwing an upper 90s sinker um and then all of a sudden now he's he's struck out 11 in eight and a third innings and pitch. He, here's you know if you if you think back to when the jays acquired him obviously that was framed as the anthony bass trade right jordan mm-hmm. Groshens for anthony bass and zach pop who hey even went to AAA for a little bit because he wasn't immediately in the plans but um in digging into some of the some of the numbers and some of the film on him at the deadline last year and especially on jay stock plus having a, a deadline day conversation with eno saris of the athletic who does his stuff plus metric actually had a great piece up on like the the sweeper being on vogue Mm -hmm. now i'm not a a great article not a believer the sweepers here to stay like at large volume by the way Mm -hmm. anyway it'll always be a slurve to me yeah in those conversations with eno one of the things he pointed out was like yeah all the pitch modeling stuff says that zach pop should throw his slider way more because the sinker's great it's heavy it's hard if it's anywhere in the bottom half of the zone it's an instant ground ball yeah but throwing it 80% of the time when you don't have elite location with it all the time, you're going to give like a, a heavy sinker up in the zone is just a fastball over the plate. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's what it is. And a sinker is one of the, not one of, it is the most split prone pitch there is, right? So you're then Zach Pop, you're profiling as a ground ball guy who's, you know, we don't do Rugi and Loogie anymore because of the three guy minimum, but you're basically only against righties. You need something that you can get to the other side. Um, he has gone from being a 77%, 23% split sinker slider to 53-47 sinker slider. And throwing it against lefties as well. Yes. Uh, he. It is actually the pitch he throws more against lefties than the sinker. And the results have been ridiculous. He still hasn't allowed a hit off of his slider. Yes, yeah, good. And he's thrown 57 of that's, them. That's really good. That's pretty good. And we're still talking small samples because it's a... Uh, it's a relief pitcher and, and we're early in the season, but he now has a monster swing and miss rate on both of those pitches. And I would say, even if the slider settles in as something less than an elite pitch, and again, it profiled as a very good pitch that he should throw more often, just 
to the Gosman conversation, just being able to make guys a little less clear what's coming. Right. And he tunnels those two pretty two pitches pretty well. So you don't really know until it's out of his hand which one's coming. Mm-hmm. Even something like just 80-20, it's pretty safe to sit on the sinker. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty hilarious also to think back to spring training and that this was one of the guys with options. And, you know, maybe he's not going to be coming north with this Blue Jays. Maybe you'll see him at some point. But, yeah, if you're looking for somebody that, that needs to stay behind at AAA, was, maybe it's Zach Bob. That was not what you were hearing from me. No, now, I was coming up with Phantom IL stints and stuff. Speaking right. of... Uh, I don't know. Nate Nate Pearson has been making a case. I don't think it's going to happen yet, but this bullpen has been pretty heavily worked the last mm-hmm. two days. If there's a short start today or tomorrow, I wouldn't be shocked if we see someone up from AAA for extra depth for the Yankees series this weekend. Um, and Day I won- off on Thursday, though, helps mitigate it a little bit. Yes. Um, I do wonder, though, if, you know, Anthony Bass is the guy. Yeah. That phantom, I, he does not have options because yeah. he's on a contract without them. Um, but like, you're not sending down Pop with the way he's pitching right now. Tim Mays is your only lefty. Mm-hmm. Adam Simber is doing Adam Simber things where yeah. like none of the process stuff looks very good, and then he has ERF too. Doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't seem so. Like a he's phantom IL is really the only is really the only the only thing if you need extra depth. And I did think it was interesting that they let Bass go 30-plus pitches yesterday mm. on his second day in a row mm. in there. Like, he seemed like the mop-it-up guy. Yeah, well, no, as the, the Astros broadcast oh, claim. There was no pun intended there, but... <laughs> clean it up! He came into the game to clean it up. Uh, as he tweeted out, his wife had to do uh, for her young children on a, a, a United Airlines flight. All right, uh, so game two of the three-game series tonight, Chris Bassett versus Jose Urquidy. Who's thrown his, his four-seamer even less uh, this season. Who needs it? I, I guess. Uh, we do have a lineup as well for you uh, for tonight's game. This game is on Sportsnet 1 as uh, National Hockey League Stanley Cup playoff hockey takes over uh, the airwaves, obviously. Uh, Brandon Belt is the D.H. Vlad Jr. back in there at first base. Dalton Varsho in center field, which means no Kevin Kiermeyer. Santiago Espinal, after coming into the game when it was out of hand for Bo hits a home run, got himself a start. Starting at second base, hitting ninth. Whit Merrifield is in left field, and it, and it does feel like John Schneider's trying to find somebody at the bottom of this order because I did mention it. Uh, it this, this offense as a whole last season was good, but it was a good offense top to bottom, right? There was, there was no elite 2021 Vlad in the middle. He was good, and Bo Bichette, again, led the American League in, in hits. We didn't see this match happen a season ago, but it was they they had an all star performance out of Santiago Espinal first half at least, uh, and the catchers were amongst the best. They just they got offense from all all over the place. They got Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hitting uh, you know a bunch of singles uh, in in the bottom of the order. They just they haven't had that this season. I think John Schneider's just looking for somebody to get hot, and he was hoping maybe it would be Kevin Biggio in front of his uh, friends and family yesterday. It wasn't. Hey, Espinal hit a home run. Finally, something that you can point to and say. Maybe a guy's about to get hot, so so he gets the, the start at second base today. Yeah, and it's like, it's if we're being realistic, it's fine-ish, right? Like, there are a lot of teams around baseball who are rotating guys in and out of the 7-8-9 spots, looking for something that, that clicks. The Angels have already made uh, infield moves, calling up a shortstop prospect and, and kind of putting a, a pin in the Luis Renjifo breakout season that I was expecting. Mm. Um you know, Brett Beatty's up in New York and you're, you're starting to see moves like that as teams, you know, cause you, you need to see a certain amount of playing time before you're like, ah, yeah, this guy's not, not doing it. Nathan Lucas, by the way, 
Mm-hmm. First career plate appearance. Yeah, how yesterday. about that? You buried that. But look, the Jays have <laughs> six guys right now who are hitting league average or better. Yeah. Which I, you know, if we're just quick math, when you have nine guys in the in the lineup, if you have more than four and a half of them hitting yeah. league average, here you're probably in okay shape. Yeah. And George Springer is not one of those. I think we all have confidence that George Springer will yeah. settle in as a as an above average guy. But then yeah, it's Whit Merrifield who's hitting 273 but without any power and then Biggio Belt Espinal Jansen all hitting well below mm-hmm. 200 um and only two home runs between the four of them. So, yeah, I think you just keep mixing and matching and I think right now Whit Merrifield is the is in the lead, mm-hmm. but it's like when you're in the lead and you're not even league average at the plate so far, you're going to keep rotating those reps around until someone runs with it. All right, so we have a lot to get to before we take the break uh, and talk to Felix Bodvan mm-hmm, in the bottom half of this hour. Before we get cool. to, to some of the basketball story from yesterday and, and, yesterday and Draymond, uh, why don't you give away those wrestling tickets? Yeah, okay. I was going to do like a cool segue and oh, stuff, okay, but sorry. all right. Uh, call the all WWE fans. Uh, the biggest party of the summer that Ben set up, uh, <laughs> not excited for the party at all. No, uh, SummerSlam is going to be in Detroit, August 5th at Ford Field. If you have not gone to a SummerSlam, they're not lying when they say it's the biggest party of the summer. When, when it was in Toronto a couple years ago, I was the Fiend's debut. It was my friend Eric Green's bachelor party weekend, so we made him dress up as Kane mm. to go to the event. It was very funny. Yeah, he, um, he looks like a Kane. For yeah, sure. it was really goofy. Um, anyway, SummerSlam's a lot of fun. Toronto legend and huge Toronto sports fan Trish Stratus, now a bad guy, cut a scathing heel promo on Becky Lynch yesterday makes me think that maybe we're headed toward Trish Stratus, Becky Lynch as a main SummerSlam program uh, at Ford Field in Detroit. Anyway, we're giving away a pair of tickets. They're on sale right now at Ticketmaster. Um, Summer's biggest party, WWE SummerSlam, Ford Field, Detroit, Michigan, August 5th. But we are also giving away a pair of tickets. All you have to do to win, listen for the code word, text it to 590-590. Today's code word is Detroit. So text Detroit to 59590 right now for your chance to win. Uh, if you don't win with us, make sure you check out Ticketmaster to secure your tickets. Biggest party of the summer, man. Yeah. I well, don't know what you got planned, but the, the party will not uh, be as big no. as WWE SummerSlam. At Whatever Field. I'm doing won't be as good as, as SummerSlam. Hey, and maybe Draymond will be there. I mean, it was kind of a, a wrestling move that he pulled yesterday on Demata Sabonis um, as he gets ejected. Uh, and uh, the Warriors... By the way, going down 0-2 in a series for the first time in the uh, Steph Curry era, and rightly so for a team that won 11 times on the road all season long and was a sixth seed and they're playing the third seed. Yeah, it makes sense that the Kings are better than them, at least at home, in these first two games. It also makes sense that Draymond's getting himself ejected. Um, what, did, what did you make of the decision to eject him? Because this was originally, I, I don't know what the, the call was originally, but they did review it, and, and he was ejected. And well, they, Sabonis, were, they always review flagrant stuff, and then yeah. they were reviewing whether or not it was a common foul on Sabonis as well, because there was, he, like... And they did call it. Yeah, and, and, like, look, Sabonis, there was at least a momentary grab of the ankle. Now, you can Zapruder the film, and was it as part of protecting his head, or was mm. he trying to do something nefarious? No, Whatever. Either way, you can't respond like that. <laughs> and, yeah, you can... You can say that he was embellishing it or, or you can whatever. Which is true. I mean, that's However you clear. want to, with either party, like you just, this is the Michael Bunting line that we mentioned with, with Kipper earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's the Dylan Brooks thing and it's a Draymond thing. And Will Lou and I talked about it a bunch on the Raptors show today is you can't cross that line at which point you're like all the nonsense and all the extracurriculars that make you so hard to play against and make you 
uh, galvanizing figure for your own team, the line is really thin. And if you cross it and you're hurting your team and look, whether or not it doesn't sound like there's going to be uh, a suspension coming from that. It sounds like maybe they'll, they'll go with a fine because mm. he did get kicked out of the game and, and the f- two flagrant points matter a lot. If the Warriors are going to make a run in the playoffs, um, he'd get an automatic suspension if he hit four flagrant points. Uh, so that's a real thing as well. But you took yourself out of the closing moments of a really close game when you were down one nothing in a series. And something that Draymond knows better than most, you gave that golden one center crowd a lot of extra fuel oh, that they didn't need by playing it up with them <laughs> as the review was going on. And then at the end of it, you get tossed. I just, it was very, the whole thing was very Draymond, but the playing of the crowd thing and giving the Kings crowd <laughs> something that he didn't need to give them was a little undraymond like Did you see the Kings fan in, in Warriors GM Bob Myers' ear like banging that, that cowbell right in his ear? Oh, it's a great crowd. Uh, and they have some pent-up... Uh, Playoff frustration, the fact that they haven't gotten to see one in a playoff game in a while. Uh, so good for them that they, they got to, to watch two uh, two wins on home court. All right, before we take the break, uh, also, Raptors, they've been done for a while now. We're, we're still awaiting, you know, the first step of whatever is to come this this offseason, and it may very well involve Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse, taking shrapnel yesterday. Raptors <laughs> are nowhere near the postseason. Here is Joel Embiid after his uh, latest victory over the Nets. I mean, yeah, they, I saw, you know, last, you know, after the game last time, uh, they kind of took the Nick Nurse swap uh, of uh, begging for free throws and calling, you know, calling out the referees. And, you know, they did come out and, you know, they got a, they got a lot of calls, which I guess is good for them. All right. So if, if you didn't understand that, they, they kind of took the Nick Nurse route of begging for her. For calls for free throws, so but that's it, what they did last year in the playoffs, right? And it was Embiid's it was Embiid's response last year as well. It, it's a funny callback. I actually thought his comment about looking at the stat sheet and being like three blocks. Oh, I thought I had more than that. I, I need we need the Memphis Grizzlies scorekeepers <laughs> like as a shot at Jaron Jackson the day he's named Defensive Player of the Year. I thought that was a better one. Um, I don't know. I'm sure Nick Nurse likes that he's still in Joel Embiid's. Like thoughts I was gonna say, bit. is that it? Is that is it just that this guy is, has suffered some heartbreak uh, at the hands of the Toronto Raptors and Nick I think Nurse? He's just a guy that does stuff like this. I don't think yeah. it's I don't think it's, it's super deep at all. I think he just thought back to the up two games of nothing in the first round last year, and the Raptors started politicking for more <laughs> foul calls. And look, the Raptors also started playing much better yeah. in that series around this point. Well, in Scotty a way Barnes that, came back from injury. Yeah, too. in a way that I don't know that the, the Nets quite have the, the horses for uh-huh. this time around. But yeah, it's Joel Embiid being funny. He took shots at Jaron Jackson. I'm sure, you know, when this doesn't work out and he's in Houston next year, he'll take shots at James Harden. <laughs> it's just what Joel Embiid does, man. It's, it's, it's funny. And we thank him for it. All right, uh, Leafs and Lightning. Let's do it again. Uh, coming up tonight at uh, 7.30, pregame starts at 7 o'clock on a Sportsnet. We'll talk to uh, the goaltender who has the third most wins in Toronto Maple Leafs history. His name is Felix Potvin. Maybe you heard of him. Uh, he's coming up next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan, live on Sportsnet 360. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rouse drives it right back in again. Here's Clark down the boards to Gilmore. Gilmore to Bobby Rouse. Shot. Scores! 
Nikolai Borashevsky has scored for Toronto. The Leafs win. The Leafs win. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Uh, we are on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. We are also on Sportsnet 360. That was the call of Nikolai Borshevsky's Game 7 overtime goal in uh, the 1993 Stanley Cup playoffs. Leafs won that series in seven games after not being a playoff team the previous season. Won in seven games against the St. Louis Blues, and then what happened in the conference final as well? You you might recall. There the was fix a, was in. Yeah, there was a little Kerry Frazier action uh, in a seven-game series loss to the Los Angeles Kings. Let's talk to the goalie that was in net for the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, during that postseason run. Third most wins by a goalie in Leafs franchise history. It's Felix Podvent. Felix, how's it going? Thanks for doing this. Pretty good, guys. Thank you. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing very well. Um, Leaf fans, I-, I guess, are doing well today. They're they're very nervous. Um, you've been in this position. You're only 21, right? Going into the into that first postseason run, um, you know, finishing third in in Calder voting that season. Ilya Samsonov has some some previous postseason experience, but never is the unquestioned number one. What what does this day feel like? The day before your first postseason game? Ah, uh, it was just. Uh... Obviously, you get uh, you get nervous before before the start of the playoff. But we had such a great group, we had such a great season that we just I just had the feeling that we just kept rolling around, and uh, hopefully that that's that's what the, the 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 players and and the team feels like. They had a, they had a great season. Uh, I like the comment that Samsonov made that that there might be the best team in the league, and they they just keep going. So. Uh, uh, I like the feeling about about the Leafs this year. So, what do you like about Samsonov in particular? I don't know how much you've gotten to see him, but obviously he's going up against the guy who I, I think most people would say is the the best goalie in the world, and Andre Vasilevsky. Um, what is that element of it like? You know, knowing your own game, maybe having confidence in your own game, but you look two hundred feet down the ice, and the best goalie in the world's on the other side. Um, you, you know what's funny is uh, I, I've, I've never looked at it that way. Like I mean, I've, I've played playoff series against Cujo against Patrick Waugh when when I was with LA, and and you know it, it wasn't me against Patrick or me against Cujo. I mean, I, I had to stop. I have to stop the team in front of me, and and they had to take care of the goalies. So uh, I, I, that's the way I looked at it all the time, and. And uh, and and I think you know Samsonov came in, in in the season where he, he might he he wasn't the number one at the start of the year. They wasn't sure who was the number one, and he did a great job. Uh, had a great great year, finished the year strong. So uh, I like I like the way he's playing, and 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 hopefully this is the year. Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen him though. Uh, getting a lot of time off, uh, and and apparently nursing some sort of minor injury as well. Felix, how, how would you feel about getting about a week off before jumping right into a, a, a postseason game against a team that's been to the Stanley Cup final three straight years? Well, uh, it, it depends. I mean, if if it's to uh, if it's to feel better about about a knee, about about a back, or or whatever it takes. I mean, uh, I wouldn't have a problem. I mean, you played you play you got eighty two games in in a season, so. Um, if you take a week off to feel great, uh, I, I don't have a problem with that. And 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 you see more and more around the league, uh, whichever team does it, like whether it's forward, defenseman, or goaltender. So um, no, I think uh, I think I feel great. I think if he if he's back, he feels good. Uh, uh, it was the right thing to do. 
talking to Felix Botvin. And now that we, you know, we're, we're looking back at 93 because uh, that was fun. Uh, and we just played the Nikolai Borshevsky uh, Game 7 overtime goal. And, and that was in Detroit, of course, because you guys were the underdog against the Red Wings. How did that free that team up? Because we're looking at this Leafs team, and people have been saying it for the previous six postseasons, that if they just get one series victory, that's just going to it's going to be such a sigh of relief that they're going to, you're going to see the best of them in the postseason. What did that do? The Borshevsky overtime goal in Game 7, and of course it, it took uh, another seven uh, game series victory and then seven games against the Kings, but what did that do mentally to get through that first round series? Uh, it was It was just a great relief. I mean, um, for me, especially being my first year there, and for everybody, like the, like the people in Toronto, who just came all together with us, and and they were before the series. But when when we won that series, you could you could feel the whole city, and and you know what 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 I felt like my days in Toronto. I hope I hope Toronto gets to win a series just so they feel that, and then and they 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 can they can they can strive on that and and go long and long and long in the series and and i i truly i truly believe that if they if they, if they go on and and be the lightning i mean who knows who knows where they can go so i mentioned you had a spectacular season obviously in your your rookie year but you only finished third in the calder voting did you, i mean who who's who's going to figure timo solani's going to score 76 goals that was a bummer yeah, I know, I know. I was. Uh, I always. I. I like to tell myself that I might have won the Calder if Solani wouldn't come in, into that year. But he had a great year. He scored seventy. So what can you do? Like he was a great player, and you know it was. Uh, it was good to compete with him. And and you were. I mean, it, it, it's basically been since you were uh, drafted and developed by the Maple Leafs uh, that they're still looking for their own homegrown uh, goaltender. I mean, can you speak to the the process of of going through that system, having the expectations of the hockey mecca of Toronto being in that position, and how difficult that is for for young goaltenders to to reach the heights that you reached? Um, it's uh, it's a lot of pressure, but you know what? I've, I've been I've been fortunate, truly, like throughout my career. Like the year I went in junior went went really good, and then I came to Toronto, and um, you know I played a year in the minors in St. John, and and you know, like Grant, Grant got hurt, and then Rick got hurt, and it gave me a chance to, you know, start start slowly without expectation, and and, and things went well, and then they did decide to uh, trade Grant for uh, Dave Andrichuk, and and things that keep on rolling. So you know, sometimes you get lucky, doors open, and then you just got to put your foot in the door, and things go well. But uh, you know, it's funny, like. I always said that 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 I was I was lucky to play in Toronto. Like like the the pressure, the people love hockey over there, and and that that was fun. That was fun playing there, so I enjoyed it. Yeah, there was also a pretty significant uh, trade the the year prior. Uh, Doug Gilmore being acquired, um, and he, he finished second in Hart Trophy voting in in ninety two ninety three. Had a spectacular season, obviously, but the production actually went up. In the postseason, didn't make uh, the Cup final, obviously, but w- was was second in uh, in postseason points. Um, what changed for guys like him? Because the the Maple Leafs have had some spectacular regular season performances and and individually some pretty good postseason performances from the top four guys. But just collectively, the the level of play has not rised in in the postseason. What did you see from from Doug Gilmore when when the the postseason started? Uh, warrior. I mean, unbelievable. Like the guy, 
might have started to play off. He was, I don't know, 190 pounds. He finished. He was 130 pounds. Like I mean, he just <laughs> uh, he just go through walls. He just play minutes. But but not not only him. Everybody just followed on him. Like you know, we had Wendell. We had we had Dave. Uh, we had we had all our defensemen crew were playing the game. And then and then you know we talk about Doug. We talk about Wendell. We talk about Dave. But you know we had guys on the on the fourth line where they just did their job and you know it's a whole team concept when when you really want to win when you really when things happen like you need the whole team to do it and uh you know i was just fortunate to play with these guys all right felix uh, i only bring this up because he's in the news but i i gotta ask uh you have what is generally considered the greatest goalie fight in nhl history Correct. uh with ron hextall um what was, did you have any sort of like conversation with him after the fact, a relationship down the line or anything like that? Is it still simmering? Like, are you ready for round two? Um, what was the fallout of Potvin Hextall uh, back no, in the day? I think, I think round two would have happened uh, two days later because we played back to back. We played in Toronto. It didn't happen, but uh, we, we've talked about it after and we laughed about it. So, uh, you know, Ron's a great guy. He was just an intense guy on the ice and, uh, you know, I'm happy. To, I'm happy the way it happened. Yeah, no, it it, <laughs> it definitely worked out for you. And I was actually going through your your fight card at what is it like uh, hockeyfights.com, and you actually had you had a couple of fights with Shakutami, according to that website. I don't know if that's true. And then you did have another one in uh, after your Leafs playing days with with the King. So. I mean, I always envisioned you with like Ron Hextall, the crazy Ron Hextall, skating down the ice as terrified. But were you? Um, well, you get, you get worried when you see him skating a hundred miles an hour down the ice, but uh, I weren't, I wasn't terrified. Like I've, 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 we did some stuff in major junior. So I've, I kind of knew I could hold my own, but, uh, things went well. That's the benefit of having a minor league team in St. John's, right? Is you, you get a little, hey, maybe George George Street happens one night or two or something like that. Who knows? Right. And yeah, it's not like you're a right. small guy, Felix. No, no, and I had great teammates in St. John. I had Kevin McLellan and a bunch of guys. So we had fun practicing and uh, and uh, helping ourselves uh, in the fight department. Uh, how much do you pay attention to the, this edition of the, the Leafs team, and, and how much rooting interest do you find yourself having uh, when the postseason comes around? You're in Quebec now, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm near Montreal, but I, I, every year I paid attention, and it, and truly, it's been it's been tough to watch like the way they lost in in every year in the first round because they haven't they haven't played that bad all years and then then they had some bad luck and I I truly believe this year hopefully they can they can they can go through I think it's it's a year where Tampa Bay felt they feel like they're a bit tired at the end of the year they haven't they haven't finished the year strong and 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 the same you can say about about their goalie where I think he's he's maybe getting tired a bit so um hopefully they, they, they can just look forward and not look in the past and just and just play the game and and win that series yeah that would that would be nice i mean uh nobody's playing 71 games in a season like you did uh, for the kings in 2001 <laughs> 2002 how did you feel at the end of that season you know what? Like I've, I've I've always played a lot of games. I never I never felt like it was a bourbon. And, and it's funny now that 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 you know every team talks about resting their goalies, and then you know they need two goalies to to 
to go half and half. Maybe it's better that way, but 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 truly, I've I I felt great when I was in the groove and and played a lot and and uh, you know it, that that's the way it was back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, somebody from the sports science department getting fired if if that happens uh, <laughs> in in these days. Hey, yeah. uh, Felix, uh, this was great. Thanks so much for doing it. Thanks, guys. That was fun. I uh, appreciate it. Felix Boffin, uh, third most wins by a goalie in Leafs franchise history, finishing third in uh, Calder, Calder Trophy voting in 92-93, yeah. but leading the Toronto Maple Leafs to a conference uh, championship run. Yeah, I can get there with Timu winning it, but Joe Juno finishing ahead of him in the, just because just like, he narrowly crossed the 100-point marker, and a bunch of people are like, oh, he got 100 points as a rookie. Give me a break. You know how hard it is for, especially in this market, a rookie goalie to step into uh, a role That's like it, that? And, and I get it. He only played 48 games because he wasn't there from you know, day one, it was sure. injuries that called up, but like, but also, this was a highly he, touted prospect and, too. And he led the league in goals against average. Yeah. Like I know that that is a team context stat as well, but like he was arguably like he finished as high in the Vezina voting as he did for the Calder voting. Like mm-hmm. how does, how does it work that way? Yeah. So one of the, the aspects of this matchup between the Leafs and the lightning that we haven't really delved into in, in this two hours uh, of mostly previewing that series and game one tonight, seven o'clock on Sportsnet, is the goaltending. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just honestly, it, what do you say? Other than you've got an all time great, a hall of famer on the other side, who's done it time and time again, and even in this season in which the numbers kind of look pedestrian, the advanced stats are actually better than Ilya Samsonov, and we talk nonstop. Like, he has more goals saved above average than Samsonov does this year. And this is what this is kind of the conclusion you come to with Vasilevsky in that if you're just looking at the save percentage, that's one thing. But what was our entire conversation with Kiprios like? What was our conversation with Frank Saravelli like? It was about how, you know, some of the guys around him protecting him and making that defensive shell haven't been as good. Victor Hedman has gone from super elite to just elite. Maybe mm-hmm. um, the defensive depth after him and Sergachev is not where it was in the past. So if Vasilevsky's numbers are, if he still looks solid as the environment around him has gotten worse, well, what do you think that says about like the upside? And, and you know, if he's another guy who can flip a switch or whatever, um, yeah, I'm. How could you not be scared of Andre Vasilevsky in, in a playoff series? We've seen it a lot over the last couple of years. And we didn't see it last year directly in Leafs lightning until game six. Well, that's it. But yeah, he's the best goalie in the world. I, there's not like it, I, if you have any experience whatsoever with playoff hockey, it's that everything matters so much and every little edge matters and, and you have to win in every area of the game. But also if you get a really hot goalie, that might be all that matters for a series and the Lightning have the best goalie in the world. And and you shouldn't do this because it makes no sense, but, I mean, you, you mentioned it, that he looked very human through the first five games of that mm-hmm. postseason series against the Leafs and the Leafs scored five on him in, in game one. You do wonder, like, how are you, you going to do that again? Like, you have to do that again. You have to make the greatest goaltender on the planet look like a mere mortal for, I mean... At least four games, um, but yeah, probably more than that. And they did for five last season uh, before losing in overtime in Game Six. I mean, yeah. we, and we talk all the time about the the number of elimination games in a row that the Maple Leafs have lost out. They've also had was it like four overtime closeout games that have gone against them mm-hmm. in the last couple of years as yeah, well. Not a great overtime team. Um, anyway, uh, the other thing too is like Vasilevsky's pedestrian like he had an 897 it's not like he gave games away for the lightning he was still pretty right. solid 
now here's what you should take away from that is yes, you, we all recognize that hockey, as much as we analyze it, as much as things do matter, it can come down to a goalie getting hot or a goalie getting cold. Yes, we can acknowledge that Vasilevsky is the best goalie in the world and probably has the highest ceiling in a playoff series of anyone. However, that does not like we don't say those things nihilistically in that nothing matters. It actually makes everything else matter so much because similar to three point shooting in basketball. okay, if we accept that this is one thing we can't control. What is the best way to insulate yourself against that? randomness or, or Vasilevsky getting red hot or you not winning the goalie battle. It's to do everything else mm. well and win everything else. Get more power play opportunities. Execute better on the penalty kill. Be better through the neutral zone. Be better in your, your defensive standards so that Samsonov isn't facing as many of those high danger chances, even though he's very good at them, because what if he has a bad game or a bad series on those mm-hmm. high danger chances? There are a million things you can help control that aren't just the goaltending battle. And yeah, so I don't know. I think the Vasilevsky thing, even though it can feel nihilistic at some point, like, oh, what does it matter? Vasilevsky could seal the series. To me, it makes everything else matter even more because that's the stuff you can control. You're right. The way I view it nihilistically is when we talk about Samsonov, who had a great season, who was a god pedigree, but I mean, has a very limited postseason track record and it's not great. He has one postseason win uh, and the save percentage numbers aren't great. Like if he... If he's not up to the the challenge, looks like Alex Line yesterday. Who like the Panthers put forth actually a half decent effort against a Bruins team that's that's super sick. But yeah, pucks are going through his his, his glove sick in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, pucks are going through his glove and like pucks are landing on his pad and getting swatted into the net. Like if 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 Samsonov doesn't look like the guy that we've seen for the majority of the year, that then I'm like, well. What are you supposed to do? You, you dominate all season long. You try and do your best at the position. It looks like you have a solution there, and, and, and it's just the bright lights of the postseason. And look, you can look at Samsonov's track record and say, yes, he's one in six in games that he started. Okay, well, he, he came in in relief in another game and sure. was unbelievable um, yeah. in that, that first Florida-Washington game uh, last year. You also go back to that first Boston series. Um, he made 40 saves in his first ever playoff game. They just lost in overtime. Mm. Even last year against the Panthers, after that excellent uh, first start, he had another really good game where they lost in overtime. And then another one of his losses was in overtime. He didn't play the greatest. But, like, it's not as if this so guy was... overtime. It's not as if this guy was a giant sieve. <laughs> he was just, you know, he was okay and... Yeah, the the Capitals couldn't get it done in regulation a lot of the time. So, yeah, maybe you don't want to go to overtime. It's not as if, like, I don't think a 907 career playoff save percentage is anything to hang your hat on, but it's not anything to be like, oh, this guy's a, a yeah, it's disaster waiting to happen. It's also only seven starts. Like, yeah, it's, it's not, not Jack Campbell regular season stuff. It's like, it's literally one series worth of yeah. starts split up over two years. I, I don't think we can learn a ton from it. And I think he's been a demonstrably better goalie this year over the course of the regular season than he was at any other point. Uh, yeah, there's really no question about it. All right, time now for last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Let's start with the uh, Leafs and Lightning on Sportsnet. And uh, the Leafs are favored in the series, so you would imagine at home in game one, they are favorites, and they are. Minus uh, 155, Tampa plus 133. Rangers on the road for game one against the Devils. Devils uh, are the favorites, minus 132. This game is on Sportsnet 360 so just keep it right here uh if you're interested in that hockey game jets and mark stone and the las vegas golden knights 9 30 on sportsnet west knights 
Uh, Golden Knights minus 155 is the Winnipeg Jets plus 133 in the late game on Sportsnet 360 as well. Avalanche trying to repeat without Gabriel Landeskog uh, at home against the Seattle Kraken making uh, their postseason appearance. Uh, the Avs minus 210 in game one. Kraken plus 175. Blue Jays against Jose Urquidy with Chris Bassett on the mound uh, in Houston. Are plus 100. The Astros are favored. Minus 114. This game is at 8 o'clock on Sportsnet 1. I want to get to the NBA playoffs because there is a pretty significant narrative running around NBA Twitter right now, and that's with the late game. Clippers in Phoenix to play the Suns. Mm, who yeah, does- the old officials matchup. The Suns are eight-point favorites uh, with the Clippers owning a, a one-game to none series lead. Um, Scott Foster will be officiating game two tonight. Chris Paul's teams are two and seven straight up against uh, any team with Scott Foster officiating. Two and 17 against the spread as well. They're on a 13-game losing streak with Foster officiating. Chris Paul also 0-14 in the playoffs with Scott Foster officiating. You can't tell me that's nothing, Blake. It's not nothing. I think all you need to know about Scott Foster, well, I'll tell you two things you need to know about Scott Foster. One, we all know his name, which is always a red <laughs> flag with good. an official, right? Uh, and two, he looks like the bad guy in like every heist movie or something. Like he's like the, the team counter heisting or something like that. Like he looks, I think Eric Roberts is the name of the like character actor who always plays a bad guy in something. He looks exactly like him. All right. You, uh, you can't look like a villain to that degree and not be a little villainous. All right. Well, Clippers uh, plus eight uh, sounding uh, pretty nice. That was Last Call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. This is it. I mean, all the anxieties, all the ups and downs of a regular season. I mean, there were some downs. It was early in the regular season for the Maple Leafs, mostly ups. Yeah, they were 4-4-2. Four, four, it was an absolute disaster. Was, they never would have got here. Well, uh, listen, some of us may have had some thoughts about firing the head coach at that point, but here they are. In a first-round series against the Tampa Bay Lightning, a place that we always expected them to be. Game one tonight on Sportsnet. Enjoy it, everybody. Fan drive time. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.